Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 32-year Wall Street analysts who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, we've run a simple value screen that ranks the top 100 stocks greater than $500 million in market cap on return on capital and on earnings yield. It's uh, out of the little black book of value investing, and it's a good basic screen, and we've got a couple ideas for you this week out of that screen. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, Mo and I are professional portfolio managers and analysts during the week, and we do a lot of very careful fundamental analysis. We do 10-year modeling. We talk to management teams, their competitors, salespeople. If you can get them on the phone, that's a great call. And we're just very careful to do absolutely none of that here on the show because it's time-consuming and it's after hours. Third, and our lawyers tell us to remind you that we do not have your best interests in mind, so uh, please uh, do your own work. And then fourth, I have been drinking a little bit this week. It's after work uh, here on November, did I say the date? November 14th, 2012. So uh, we will be uh, recommending three stocks today, or maybe four. I don't know. Mo, what do you think? Drive by on number four. I know the three. Uh, I don't know what the fourth is. Gannett, uh, Total Service, I'm sorry, Total System Services, which I, I don't think I've heard of. And, hmm, this is a new one Western Union. Boy, be, that's old school. Yeah. Yeah, we're going old school with that one. So, uh, but before we get to that uh, exciting new idea section of the show, We'd like to uh, talk a little about Value Guys Wall Street News with momentum. And it's been a, a momentous couple of weeks. I think it's been a couple of weeks since we did the show. I mean, that you were—you uh, should talk a little about your experience. We have a new, I mean. we have a new president. And yeah. um, you were just telling me about um, you're going to end up with 4.5% uh, of your income in two years after these new tax proposed tax changes come through. Well, it's a, certainly a smaller number than what we're seeing today. I just I saw a headline today. You know, who who knows what they're going to do here? Is there such thing as a bigger, smaller number? Uh, you know, I I think they're going to uh, they're probably not going to raise the tax rates. That's not a good thing to do when you're growing GDP at this kind of level. But on the other hand, there's a bunch of deductions uh, that probably can go, particularly. Uh, the housing deduction, housing uh, home mortgage interest, in part because rates are so low, that deduction isn't really valuable. Giving you much right now, so right. I'd say, give it, give it up. You know what have you? Uh, charitable deductions. I don't think you should give that up because basically the government would be taking money out of the hands of the needy into their hands, and I think there's uh, salaries of government workers before you get to the needy, unlike some of the charitable organizations. But listen, I'm an American. I support the vote. Um, I think that uh, we've got a great four years ahead of us simply because of where we've come from. And as we've been talking about here on the show, Mo, and Obama's been right about this, there has been 
you know, three and a half years of consistent job growth and GDP growth. It's yeah, not as good as we picks, want. And when we do, you know, um, dialing through economic trends at the end of the show, yeah, we can uh, we can talk about that because there's just, there's pages of indicators which are showing that that you know it's weak, but there's no question that we're starting to pick up a little bit of steam. Yeah, that's which right. Is good, which is good. So what do you, what do you I mean, value, guys? Wall Street News. I mean, you know, no, there, there was there, there, all, there's, there's, old employers underwater. <laughs> I mean, but that's a joke. I hope underwater. Uh, there are a couple of them that are down on There water. are a couple of homeowners that are underwater and under. They were underwater before the storm, and now they're underwater. But I mean, down on Water Street. Down on what? Our old our old days. Yeah, there's. Uh, I had five. Uh, I had five jobs on that one street. Yeah, I started on the. East at um, Prudential Securities. Yeah. Moved to Kidder Peabody, which was kind of in the middle of the street. Should Oppenheimer, be, which was a little... Should you be giving this... No one could piece all of this together. Yeah, they don't know what don't years. exist don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Books and records? Uh, we shredded all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so I don't know. Do you, you've had a long career with a lot of firms. I, I don't have an alumni. Can you imagine it's like going to college eight times and every single time you go home to see your old college, it's gone. It's gone, shut down. Uh, you know, most of my, well, you know, <laughs> several gone? are gone. Yeah, but some are still around. But I don't have one left. Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, we should comment just on the uh, on the tragedy that's unfolded here uh, across the river. And I just, uh, you know, you were over there uh, helping out some neighbors and such and... Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, not it, to dwell on it, but there's uh, nothing left there. There's a, there there are parts of uh, Spring Lake, New Jersey, where um, there are you know it was four million dollar houses pretty much right up next to each other for along a, a, a strip of beach that's a mile, and you go down there now, there's just nothing there. Yeah, so. but you know, so that's but it's and it's going to be a slow recovery out there. They're gonna, they're saying it's the largest disaster in the history of man in terms of economic damage wow well so, I, I know that um you know we own a couple stocks here in the shop we've talked about them uh usg us gypsum and uh eagle materials they've both been on uh, huge runs in here and certainly housing has been improving but a lot of that is the anticipated uh cost to rebuild that area yeah so. yeah and uh you know the uh we have been thinking about a couple of ways to make some money on the news because we're yeah. always we're always scheming over our. We place. have oh your your shop. Okay. Well, you know because we we do a lot of we do a lot of stuff with entertainment rights. Yeah. So uh, you know we're the 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 country's like got this giant sex scandal going on, and it's engulfed like the top military yeah. guy, the top intelligence yeah. guy in the country. So right. David David Petraeus. Yeah. He's head of the CIA. Yeah. Well, he was right. Was. Yeah. He has an affair with a woman called Paula Broadwell. Broadwell. Yeah. Paula Broadwell thinks that David Petraeus may be fooling around with another woman named Jill Kelly. Also not his wife, though. Also right. not his wife. Yeah. So Paula Broadwell sends harassing emails to Jill Kelly. Yeah. The FBI no. investigates. They find out not only is... Paula Broadwell having a, an affair with David Petraeus, but Jill Kelly may be having an affair with another guy named John Allen. Yeah. Wow. So. Wall Street News. Today we started working on the first 12 
installments of the reality show, right? And we're going to call it the Real Housewives of Sencom. Really? Because <laughs> look at listen to this. We've got and I and and we're talking twelve shows. They'll probably front us five uh-huh. hundred thousand dollars a show. But you got you got those industry contacts. You got two great-looking women, slinky outfits, toned arms. Yeah, cat fights. Titillating emails, military leaders consumed with power and sex, more plot twists than Homeland, <laughs> an embedded mistress named Broadwell, very James That's, Bondish, it Broadwell. Is, is that she's, her real name? Yeah. She's an embedded mistress. Just, she yeah. writes a biography called All In. I don't, is this what this show's about? You have an know? other woman of Middle Eastern descent. You've got custody battles, bankruptcy cases, Crisis management people that have got ties to John Edwards and Monica Lewinsky. Is there a stock and story this, in here somewhere? Yeah, this is this whole thing is all tied together as this scandal unfolds, and yeah. we're going to get the movie. Right. Should we buy AMC Networks be, to take advantage I think of this? It, well, I think if you want, what we're doing is we're putting a private placement together to uh, finance twelve shows, plot outline, and I think really? we're going to run it on the E Entertainment Network. Wow. Well, that may be the best idea on the show today. We may be syndicating that later <clears> on. The only stock idea that that I saw this week was Pepsi because they've just announced a new line of soda that blocks the body's ability to absorb fat. Right? Okay. So so first small sodas, now sodas without fat? No. What kind of world are we living in with this? Listen to this. You know, they've got a synthetic dietary fiber they put it in. Now, it has never been tested on humans, but they have. Well, why would you want something that's never been tested on humans? Because they've introduced it in Japan. So we'll see see if it works over there. And if it doesn't kill everybody, then you can have it come over here and it could be pretty good. Well, how about sending it to North Korea first? Check it out. Why Japan? That's Great the idea. world's third largest economy. I don't know who you thought know? that up. I don't know. Not but, our team. Yeah, there's. Uh, so that's that. I think the only, the only last thing is uh, checked uh, our friends over at Intrade, where we Intrade. were trading Romney and. You know, we had a hell of a recommendation on that. We Romney. sold. I think we sold Romney at the time. Well, buy him at ten cents, sell him at forty. Yeah, that was. I a good mean, call. I don't need to look him up to tell you where he's probably trading at. It's a good call, but they do right have some. Now. They do have some good stuff. There's a, according to them, the good news for all the people out of New Jersey, there is a ninety-two percent chance that Tony, Tony is going to be the last named storm in 2012. Which Sandra, you know, they Sandra. all go in alphabetical order. Right. So Ursula. Sandra then. Then Tony. Walter. That's the last one. 92% chance. So that's good. You folks in New Jersey, there's only a 10% chance this is going to happen again oh before God. the end of the it's year. It's so sad. You know, in Whoa. fact, I've got so, here's a real announcement. A real announcement from values of the value guys. You know, we come on this show every week. We have a few laughs. We have some ideas. But here's a real idea, and I really want people to write in and tell me if this is something of interest. Or if you're a listener that could help us with this. Uh, right in. I mean, Mose, we're making fun here a little bit, but the fact is, uh, you know, we know people that had their homes destroyed, and uh, I don't want to make light of that. It's a serious situation. And what we thought about, I mean, there's only so much we can do working weekends, shoveling dirt out of yards, etc. But what we thought we could do is take these stocks we recommend every week, uh, pop them into a fund, We'd need a brokerage firm to sponsor that if there's a listener that could help us out. Call it uh, the Value Guys uh, Sandy Relief Fund. Donate all the fees to the relief effort 
uh, for the victims of Sandy. And that would be something the value guys would be happy to do. We kicked it around over a couple of drinks the other day, not surprisingly. And we're pretty serious about the idea. We'd need some help. I mean, uh, we have little firms that uh, don't have mutual funds. We'd need someone that could help us with that, etc. Uh, so if that's something that you uh, would, would feel you could be helpful in or have some thoughts on, write me at val at thevalueguys.com, and uh, we're, we're very interested in, in seeing what we can do on that. So we're not going to keep any of the revenues? Absolutely none, no. And we'd write, we'd, that'd be in the contracts. So Okay, I quit. <laughs> well, I can do it then. I, I already have a job here, so I, and I got some extra time on my hands, obviously. Let's talk uh, about this off. Okay. Good. So we've got three ideas this week. <clears throat> they came through a screen we ran here in the shop. Um, and it's a button-on fact set. i got to admit, I you know didn't spend a ton of time. But they've got some serious uh, you know capabilities in here. And all this one is, is it goes through, uh, I, I set it at above $500 million in market cap. And it's basically ranking... The top 100 on uh, a ranked return on capital. Now, I'm not sure if it's a three-year or a one-year. Honestly, I do not know that. Let's see here. Uh, I've got a little bit of detail here. Um, But unfortunately, it's not enough detail to tell me if it's a one-year. But I I think it might be a three-year average. And then earnings yield, which I believe is EBIT over enterprise value, earnings before interest and taxes divided by enterprise value, which is simply the market value of the equity, the debt, less the cash. And that is is taken as a a yield, a cash flow or earnings yield, they call it. And you just rank it, the top 100 uh, on, you know, one half of each of those metrics is what got through the screen. And Mo and I sat here diligently and went through a uh, hundred names that came through that screen out of a universe of uh, about two or three thousand, and we've got we came up with four, the four best names off that screen. Which was uh, a what was they were? One? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Gannett, which is a newspaper stock, and uh, you know it's hard to make money in newspapers, but darn it, we think we can. Interpublic Group. Uh, which is a big advertising company. Total System Services, which is an electronic payment processor, and then finally Western Union, which uh, I think sends Morse code messages to people. But we'll get into more detail. Yeah, and you know what? Of the, um, are we offline? Yeah, are we, no, we're good. Are we dead? I think we're still, still good. Um, of the hundred names, what's interesting is one of the names we uh, we screened came out was number three on the list of one hundred, and that's Western Union. But it was a uh, you know it was, it was interesting to see them ranked this way. Doctor uh, Doctor Pepper came up ninety uh, eighth. Doctor Pepper. So yeah. that's the number one, and the the number one was AOL. Yeah. So those are the, the. It's an interesting way to screen these because you can just sort of look at these and, and look at them in a very different light. Even though you think you really know the company, you screen them this way and you realize where they are relative to some of their peers. It's interesting. Well, 
uh, you know, a lot of times you get dying companies in here because the trailing returns are better than the future. The market already knows that. That's why the stock's down. That's why the yield is up. So there's a lot of value traps sitting in here, um, of which some of these may be. But it is an interesting uh, inbox. Is that a professional term? Which one? Value trap? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. I like it. Okay, first up, Gannett, ticker GCI. And I just want to say I've had the pleasure of losing a lot of money in this stock over the years. If you look at this thing, back in 2007, it was around 50. And uh, in 2008, it was two. two. <laughs> and if you were in during that period, you were unhappy. But here's what happened to the newspapers, frankly. They all had great EBITDA margins for years. Why? They had a local monopoly in advertising, not only for retail, but, um, you know, careers, uh, you know, help you know, wanted, all those kinds of you things. You know, the, the, the thing that's so amazing is uh, when, when, when I first looked at the newspaper group, Realized, you know, a, uh, back in the day, a piece of print that was the size of your finger for a want ad, selling your car, selling your home, those were, in the New York Times, those used to be 20, 30, 40 pages of, of those size ads, and each one of those ads might have been $1,000, mm-hmm. I mean, an ad the size of your finger. Now, you know, you don't have to be too, too smart to see if you're selling that ad for $1,000, and the print itself cost you about one one-thousandth of a penny. Yeah. Margins are good. So as the internet came and really started whacking them in 2007, 2008, they just went away. Well, you know, there was a, there's a, a long step function of the newspapers. One of the first things to go was jobs. You had these things, you know, career builders, monsters, dot com or what have you, all these things. And so that got intervened pretty quickly. Then things like funeral, you know, announcements and that started to get intervened. Uh, and then, you know, I think real estate started to move offline to things. And I mean, can you imagine looking at for a house and not looking at it online well, where you can course. see the photographs and the Google Maps and so all that? So a lot of that gravy was gone. But, you know, uh, the, the, the thing that happened that was bad, I think they could have weathered all that because it's a variable cost business. You know, you run fewer papers, you buy less paper. You run fewer routes, you have fewer trucks, all that. But I think what happened was those juicy margins... And let's blame investment bankers. Why not, right? Those juicy margins during those uh, the 2000 era, it was like, hey, buddy, you've got these great margins in the stable cash flow. That's just a bunch of EBITDA, earning before interest, taxes, and depreciation, that could be going to debt service. And that means you could borrow $4 billion and buy up these other companies, these other newspapers. So there was this big effort for a fragmented industry. And let's face it, Gannett was the granddaddy of that. In some regard, they were the first national paper and Tribune Company, New York Times. They all started to buy a lot of firms around the country. Um, and they they used debt because of the stable cash flow. Well, then when these very lucrative you know, one ads, jobs, all these things, real estate, et cetera, obit started to go away. Uh, they still had that debt service, and the profits got squeezed, and then they weren't quick enough to monetize the Internet. In fact, to this day, most newspapers, which are happy to sell you a newspaper, they give away the content online, which cheapens it. So they're still trying to work their way out of that. Um, the reason Gannett comes up, 
frankly, is because they have diversified, and they're one of the most diversified, away from newspapers. They own a lot of television stations, which have stayed good. And, uh, and you know, you 20, know, 20% of their assets now are in digital. You know, they're in three yeah. areas, broadcasting, um, uh, newspaper publishing, and digital. And digital is a billion dollars worth of their... Um, their assets. Yeah. So uh, you're right. You can see the diversification and the stock acting, obviously, a little better, a lot better. Well, here's what I here's what you know, sort of the the nitty gritty on it. These guys, they've been through hell. Let's face it. These newspapers. These guys are still putting up twenty percent EBITDA margins, and I honestly, I'll just tell you that on an operating earnings basis, their newspaper business is about half. So it's 50% broadcasting, television, and digital, mm-hmm. and half uh, newspapers. And so they're diversifying away from that. Um, and yet they're still putting up these 20%, 23% EBITDA margins. Um, they're putting up a uh, upper single-digit return on assets, which frankly could be a lot higher if they would just go right off all those trucks and printing presses that they're not going to need in about five years, but they're depreciating them on a 20-year life. So that's just silly. They should just take that hit. And they're putting up a return on equity in the 20s. They've got a pretty levered balance sheet. All these guys do. 75% debt to equity. But when you look at the coverage, um, it's it's not terrible. They got $900 million in EBIT, and they've got total debt... Of around two billion, let's say they got a, I don't know, five percent rate. That's a hundred million, so it's pretty well covered. And the valuation, five point five times EBITDA. So I'm going to look at that as around, uh, you know, eighteen percent cash on cash return, EBITDA as a cash flow metric, and enterprise value as the price we'd all have to pay to buy this, buy this thing. Now you used to cover these things professionally, didn't you, Mo? Long time you, ago, you when they wrote were, on these when they were babies, right? Well, yeah, when they were uh, when they were just small market newspapers, and the uh, the uh, the deal with those papers back then was they didn't have any competition from the big national papers because it was all about local advertising, especially in these smaller towns. They were relatively recession proof, but mostly they were insulated from the uh, the bigger being cannibalized by the bigger media outlets, and you know. I haven't looked at this company in a long time, but I wouldn't be surprised if that still holds for some of their smaller markets where, um, you know, you, you want to read about something that's happening with a 30 or 40 mile radius of your home. So even half of that business seems like it's in pretty good shape. Here's something that, two things that I find troubling. One, um, if you look at their sales, they've gone seven million, six point seven million, five point six million, five four, five two. Their sales are it's admirable that they're keeping their EBITDA margins flatter up. That's great. But sales have been in a very consistent decline. And I kinda wanna know when that's gonna stop. Yeah. The other thing is, and this is odd, look at the dividends per share. They were a buck eighty in two thousand eight. And they were gone one twenty, one forty, one eighty dividends per yeah, share. I didn't even look at that, Mo. That's a good and, point. And uh, in two thousand nine, the yogurt hit the fan and dividends went from a buck eighty to sixteen cents. Yeah. 
and they've yeah. been at 16 cents and then 24. <clears throat> so the company right now has got a nice yield, 4.8%. It's paying a 76 cent dividend. Here's what's an interesting decision point. Are we going back to a buck 80? In which case, you buy the stock for the dividend. Or have we had this little ramp up and we're going back down to 16 cents because we've been at both of those numbers within four years. So um want to know a little bit about where their prospects were, but boy, if this dividend can get back to a to a buck eighty, um, you know, when it was a buck eighty, sales were at six point seven million uh, billion. Sorry, um, and uh, this year they're five point two. So they should, you know, they have a little bit of an uptick in sales, and they do one eighty again in dividend per share. Really push something out to the shareholders. Whew, this could be a great stock. Don't you think it's curious that they? Uh They've showed so much confidence by really hitting that dividend hard here. And we've said that a lot. We've said, you know, management wants to send a message uh, to shareholders that things are phenomenal. They raise the dividend by that degree. So they're either sending a message or they're idiots. Well, let's hope it's not the latter. You know, it could be. I will say that there's been a lot of bankruptcies in newspaper land. But here's here's what I'm looking at that, that sort of makes me think they're not crazy. There's 10 people that follow this stock. Take a look at the EPS revisions in the, the last one month, three months, six months. They're all up. All up a little bit, yep. yeah. 5%, 8%, another 5%, 3.4%. So that tells you me that things are looking pretty positive. And then lastly, if you just take a pencil and draw a line from the bottom of the stock price, 2008, and kind of take a ruler and draw I can't straight. do that, Mo. I'm a value guy. I don't draw well, lines. If you did, you would see that this this company kind of is like hopping. It hops up in the air and it lands on that line. Hops up in the air a little further, lands on that line. It's hopped up in the air. It If it lands on the line again and hops, you'd probably buy the stock well, all if the you're way gonna, down to 15 or 14. If you want to really talk about hopping, if you go back to uh, 06, the stock was... Evidently, this is hard to read on this uh, logarithmic scale. Looks like it's a hundred. Yeah, close to a (laughs) hundred. And revenues were seven point eight billion. Yeah. Now it's sixteen, and revenues are five billion, and EBITDA has fallen nearly in half. I think we probably agree that those terrible days of losing all of that classified advertising. I mean, it's it's over, and they're migrating their properties. Online, and I think it's worth saying because I don't think we've said that here. I mean, these guys, for listeners that don't know that, these guys invented USA Today. Yeah, that's right. And you were covering it when they launched that. And I remember. Alan Newharth was the guy. Well, I just remember it was such an innovation to have a national newspaper. Not that the Times wasn't national, but, you know, it wasn't everywhere. It was just in some big cities and airports and things. USA Today tried to be everywhere. And uh, they had those television-looking uh, boxes. boxes that yeah. was innovative. And, you know, they, they lost money on that for years and years, but ultimately they were proved correct that that brand, that national brand, would become something. And I think to this day they've got the best sports page now in, in the game. And, uh, and there's a lot of other go-tos for people in USA Today. And I do believe this will be one of the brands that can migrate online versus yep. like the Cincinnati Inquirer or something like that, right. uh, if that isn't even a newspaper. Oh, I'm sure it is. So, so, uh, there's, a, so there's a lot going on there. Okay. okay. Next up. Good candidate. Interpublic group of companies. 
which is kind of an odd name, wouldn't you say? Uh, IPG is the ticker symbol. And, uh, and, uh, and what? What can I tell you? It's a big uh, advertising company, uh, advertising and marketing services company. Uh, I'm going to just read a little bit here because it explains it better than I can. Communication agencies that deliver custom marketing solutions on behalf of clients. If that doesn't yell high margin, although it doesn't have that high margin. And they've got a bunch of brands. I know they've, over the years, accumulated a lot of companies. Um, why to be interested in this? Well, remember, we ran a screen that ranked return on capital and earnings yield Top 100, greater than 500 million market cap. This came through that. This has a market cap of, let's see, why did I say that? Because I don't know where that is. I thought, oh, here it is, 4 billion. Yeah, 4 billion. 20 analysts covering it. It's a little bigger than I usually like to gravitate to. But here's the thing it's six and a half times EBITDA. So that's some type of cash flow yield. If I do the inverse of that, it's around 15% cash on cash return in a world where the Treasury is two and a half. Uh, they have a pretty consistent gross margin in the mid-30s. EBIT margin does move around a little bit, particularly in recession years that are the worst in 50 years, like in 09, where it dipped to six. They never lost money. Uh, they've got a leveraged balance sheet, but they're, uh, again, just like on the last company we spoke about, the, the debt is well covered. They've got about a billion two. There's probably, I don't know, I'm going to guess a little bit, 60, 70 million in interest expense a year. They've got EBIT of 700 million, so it's well covered. They've got a decent yield, 2.5%. And the thing I like about advertising, I did a study many years ago, it's just consistently, I mean, it's going to be a little unstable during recessions, but it's consistently 5% of sales of. of uh, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And I think that, you know, we're in a period where businesses have to get a little better and big advertising firms have some economies of scale. Um, and so I like that. Yeah, you know, and I, I'll just second your comment on the fact that it's gotten very non-cyclical. There was a time when it was very cyclical. And uh, what a number of companies discovered back in the, the 80s was that if they kept advertising during a recession... yeah that they gained huge market share in the ensuing economic upturn. Yeah. And so the minute, you know, the, that light bulb went off in corporate America, ad agencies have been able to post decent revenue gains even during economic downturns. Now, there's some evidence of that here, but it's also a little disheartening. Revenues for this company have been about 62 6.3 say between 6 and $7 billion since 2006. There's no yeah. momentum there at all. No yeah. momentum at all. Yeah. Now, it's good that their, their EBITDA margins have been about 12%, you know, for the last five years. So consistent EBITDA margins, but flattish sales. That really doesn't, to me, make a, a, a very bull case. But this is what caught my eye. Now, we're looking at fact set. There are 20 analysts who follow this company, 20. In the last six months, all of them have estimate reductions, and the average price target that these guys have is $12.90. $12.90. So you got 20 guys out there that are experts in this stock, 
and they're saying it's going to go up 36%. So that's a pretty that's a pretty uh that's a pretty big jump. So somebody knows something or we got 20 guys out there that should be fired. Well, you know, we both had this job where you've got a price target on a stock. The earnings, you know, guidance starts to be down a little bit. It just looks like they might have guided down. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And the fact is on, an, you know, advertising, it is discretionary. So, you know, notwithstanding what Mo said, and I second that, advertising uh, does gain you share in bad periods. But if you do fear for your cash flow, it is an area that you can cut in the same way you can cut R&D. You know, branding helps you in the future uh, a lot of times, not always right now, just like R&D. And so it does hurt you, but if it's a survival thing, you know, companies do it. And, and maybe that's what's going on right now. But I just did the calculation, even between the two numbers you talked about, Mo. In 2006, they had $6.2 billion in sales. 2012, uh, six billion nine hundred and ninety-eight yeah. million. That growth rate two, is two percent. Yeah, it's two percent, which I think is is GDP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. sadly, uh, but so you have GDP growth here, and the reason you might expect that the multiple would expand is either they have a, you know, a period where they manage to put together a lot of acquisitions in a row, and they get everybody hyped up that their growth rate has changed, even though it hasn't really, but they can create that impression for a little while, and then you sell it into that. Um, or people start to pay up for the stability. I mean, I, again, the long treasury is at a 2.5% yield. Well, what does that mean? Again, 1 over 2.5%. Let me do the math. That's 40 times earnings that don't grow. Why? Not because of the growth, because of the safety. So when you find things that are right. safe... <clears throat> They're worth a lot, and uh, and this and, may be one of those. And one of the one of the uh, last things that we look at when you talk about safety is you you tend to look at a company that pays a dividend because when management feels relatively confident in their future, <clears throat> they they start paying a dividend. So it's interesting. This company has never ever paid a dividend, and they just started in 2011. <laughs> so when a company does that. What they're telling you is we are either more mature and capable of paying that dividend or we are more comfortable in our future than we've ever been since we've come public. I think that's a pretty powerful message they're sending. And it may have something to do with why while analysts are cutting some of their numbers, 20 of them have got a price target for this stock that's up almost 40%. Yeah. So there's a story there, but we're not going to dig any deeper. We're not? So there's a value, guys. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> let's move along then. Um, <clears throat> let's have a toast to moving along. Yes. Feeling Superficial research. Absolutely. Okay. As little work as possible while still being informative. Industry, right? industry ethic. Uh, just like Smith Barney used to be. <laughs> Not to pick on anyone. Okay. Uh, next up, total system services, ticker TSS. Why did we come onto this name? Got through the screen. It's got a combination of a return on capital and an earnings yield that when you rank them, uh, you know, we're in the top 100 on that ranking. Total system services. Now, this is a business I like a lot 
They provide electronic payment processing, merchant services, and related services to financial and non-financial institutions. Now, the cool thing about that is they probably take like a half a penny or a quarter of a penny per transaction of something. You absolutely need them for everything to go smoothly, and you don't want to have to shop for somebody else unless there's a service disruption or they disappoint you in some way. And it's so cheap compared to your profits that you're, it costs you too much to shop, in effect. So these can be very long annuities. So when I see one of those things and it's seven times EBITDA, just as I was saying, one over seven, that's a 14% cash-on-cash return. The long treasuries are two and a half. And I don't want to predict the longevity of the United States as a nation and the value of the, uh, the treasury, but these services, unless we head back to the Middle Ages, are going to be here for all time, whichever government is running the world. Uh, you're going to need these kinds of things, and so I like that. Their returns on assets are in the teens, EBITDA margins consistently in the 20s and 30s, and uh, this one has a pretty clean balance sheet, 17% uh, debt to cap, and, uh, and so uh, I like that. I think that they've got some kind of annuity that's undervalued here. Well, you know... Um this is this is sort of interesting. Um, something happened in 2011 because you 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 had a pretty big jump in stock price, um, and it wasn't really recovering from much. The stock was up almost 27 percent. And I'm looking at these numbers and I'm seeing something. What's that? Well, I'm seeing a company that's paid 28 cents a share forever, and all of a sudden in 2011, for the first time ever, dividends go up to 31 cents. This would be a hard one on uh, Guess the Dividend. It would be, but it's 28, 28, 28, 28, 28, and boom, 31. See, I wouldn't have said 31. I would have said 28. I wonder why. Yeah. Yep, so. that, you have to fine-tune that algorithm. Uh, this but this was obviously <clears throat> a special case. So you've got a big jump in dividends. At the same time, long-term debt goes from $225 million to $65 million. So debt's down, and they're saying, hey, maybe some of this stuff which used to go to debt service, we're not going to dividend out to shareholders. If that's the case and there's more to come, well, that could be kind of exciting. Now, dividend, or I should say revenues have been you know, fairly flat. But again, you know, I'm looking at the, the stock's 21 Target price is 25. There's 21 analysts. No real revisions in, in earnings numbers for the for this group. Technically, it looks good. 16% upside. You put that on top of a 1.8% dividend. That's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, so I, I'd, I'd look at it from that perspective, too. Um, but... Well, one thing I'd note is, again, there's 21 analysts covering it. So I don't always, you know, there's probably not a lot of fundamental information that Mo and I are going to be able to uncover here on the show. But here's the thing. 21 analysts, a lot of times you get groupthink. No one wants to risk their bonus. I bet all their estimates are within a penny or two of each other because the company is guiding them to within a nickel range or something. But here's what you don't get guidance on when you're an analyst. Is this an annuity? So just think about that. You're not getting guidance. The company's not going to say, you know, they, they rarely wade into the question of what should the multiple be. 
you know, they have their view. It's fun to talk to management teams about what they think their stock is worth, but then they kind of give you a puzzled look and say, isn't that what you're supposed to tell me? And the fact is, yeah, it is. And so in this case, I think what the analysts may be missing <clears throat> is simply uh, because sales have been flattish, so it's not really showing up in the numbers exactly. And, of course, this is for entertainment purposes only, so I may have no idea what I'm talking about. But I think once you're embedded in a series of devices that help somebody make money, and here it's going to be retailers and banks and all kinds of, it looks like credit cards and things like that, once you're embedded in all that, I mean, really, is someone going to undo all that? It costs them more than they could possibly save by replacing you. So I think that uh, for whatever reason here, and the stock has been doing well, so it's hardly like it's down, but um, the EBITDA has been showing some gains the last couple years after the recession. Returns on uh, assets have been rising each year the last three years. Again, that's coming out of this recession. EBITDA margins, EBIT margins, all rising consistently the last three years. And that's on down sales, by the way. So they're making some good choices about uh, you know which businesses to focus on. It might very well be the case that the reason sales are down is that they're walking from bad businesses and you know, that suggests, I mean, you have to go do the work, but there could be some new managers here. Sometimes you have companies that are run by scientists who invented all this stuff, but they don't know how to run a company or price things or what to do. And so, you know, maybe they got to the edge of the envelope on the technology and they're not making enough money, so they hire, you know, some business people to run the firm. And, and you know, there's evidence here. Uh, that, that that I mean, that not strong evidence, but that could be going on. But something good's going on right now, yep, and yep. it's cheap, so I like it. Okay, finally, um, and a lot of you may not have heard of this company. Um, it's called Western Union. When, and, when, was, uh, when was the last time you got a telegram? Have well, you ever gotten a uh, telegram? You no, know, I did get a telegram when? one time. And I'm a grown man, so I uh, I got you... one telegram. How long ago? Uh, Forty-five years ago. Hmm. Yep. And you know why I remember it? Why? My aunt Shirley sent me a telegram uh, when I was uh, reached a, a, a ten-year-old. Yeah. Ten-year-old, you got yeah. a telegram. Yeah, telegram. So was it a singing telegram, or was it just a guy showing up with a telegram? No, it was a Western Union <laughs> telegram wishing me a happy birthday. But here's the thing. There was money attached to it, just and that is their surviving business, sending money to people. And I'll tell you, I was appreciative then, and I'm appreciative now. Now, here in America, there's other ways to send money to people uh, right. other than that, like right. a, a, a check in a mail uh, thing or a wire. Or, There's an app for that. Or uh, even PayPal, you can get right. money to people. But if you want to get money to another country, I think that this is where Western Union can sometimes do a better job than uh, than banks because it's just Bill wants to send a, you know a, some money to Joe, right? And they don't want a bunch of banks involved for whatever reason. And so I think getting money back home to families and all that is uh, 
It's a big business. You know, these guys do $5.6 billion in sales. It's not exactly growing, but they're putting up consistent, cons- I mean, consistent. I can draw a line through this. Almost 29, 30% EBITDA margins. That says something's proprietary. Uh, they've got, <laughs> this might be a little high for some people's appetite. They're 400% debt to equity. Hmm. So, you know, I don't want to. Now that's. Whatever happens <laughs> is going to happen big. That's 80% debt to cap. Now that just means that for $100 in capital, 20 is equity and 80 is is debt. And with the consistency of their EBITDA, you know, debt could be appropriate. Uh, and in this case, I'm looking here, they've never lost money. Um, it's been rock stable. If you look at this company, I mean, you don't even know there was a recession. You know, here's one thing, though, that I'd, that I'd, that I'd just caution. Again, you've got 26 people that follow this company. All of them have, are reducing their estimates by about 20%. And look at what has happened to this stock. This thing is in free fall. Well, the stock's gone down 20%. It's a, or it, more. It Let's is see. actually down. It was down 31%. Okay. So here's how I interpret that. Down, stock down 30%. Estimates down 20 Yep. And the P.E. Yep. went down 10%. Yep. So from 9 to 8 Question That's is, how you get that. It has the story fully unfolded, or is it just unfolding? What you don't want to do is, you know, catch a falling knife. Well, here's what I would say, which I know nothing, but the consistency of these results uh, suggests to me that all that happened was the company said, "Hey guys, uh, our revenues are down, our earnings are going to be down," and so if you look at the estimates here. For 2013, there's a little table here. So, 157 per share in December 2011, that fiscal year. Then, 168 this year. And I'm going to guess that. Uh, well, that look, that's already come down 20 percent. So, at some point, this used to be a buck ninety estimate or something. And then this one here, the 2013, has also come down 20 percent. So. You know, maybe people just got a little ahead of themselves, what have you. But um, if I forget what the analysts might be doing with their estimates, I always made fun of this because, you know, analysts, including guys at our own firms, would say, oh, management missed the estimate. And I'd look at these guys, I'd say, no, you know, you missed the estimate, analyst. It was your estimate. And you missed it. I mean, why do you? What makes you think management knows the future any more than you do? And I think what happened is they guided down. But I'm going to suggest that to the extent there's a stability here, and a consistency of results that's worthy of a multiple that's reflective of an annuity, mm-hmm. that uh, the market's overreacting. I mean, tw- down 20 percent. That just means you have earnings down 20 percent. But uh, that's, that's in I, the stock now. now. Here's another. You know you. You look at these sheets, and it's like reading tea leaves. You can come up with a hundred. There's a hundred stories yeah. in these sheets, uh, and you can. And that's why you got to come up with a hundred stories, and then you got to chase most of them down, which is what real analysts do. But here's another another thing that jumps off this page at me: two thousand for the, the forever. This company has spent about fifty, eighty million dollars in capex. That's been the you know, they've been year after year after year: fifty million, sixty million, fifty million, etc. 
In 2012, CapEx was $156 million. My concern would be they made a big investment. Hmm. They were expecting a return on it. It's not happening. It's not happening. Estimates are coming down. Stocks in free fall. And I wouldn't know if uh, CapEx on an order that magnitude, when it doesn't work, how long does it take to unwind? That's a good point. Good well, point, know. Mo. Although, again, you know, that CapEx, 156, share count 634. What's that? 15 cents? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying so that. So they blew 15 yeah. cents on something just, and the well, stock's down 10 bucks? I mean. But the stock may have been up 10 bucks in anticipation yeah. of how this is. So, but it's it's definitely worth it's a it's another one of those red flags that you look at when you pull these sheets. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Now, what the thing I didn't mention is for all this hair, and there is a little bit. I mean, you do see a stock going down this much. Obviously, somebody's spooked about something, but it's four point four times EBITDA. So I'm not going to do all the arithmetic here in my head. But if it's one over four, that's twenty five percent. If it's one over five, that's twenty percent. So it's probably 22.5% EBITDA yield. That's EBITDA divided by enterprise value, which is some type of cash flow yield if all of our friends were to buy this company. And that leaves a lot of room for being wrong. So if it's not 25%, even if it's 15%, if earnings going forward are 15% lower than they are now, and there's no evidence on the page that they ever fall unless the idea of, Wiring money is suddenly out of favor, and it could be that you know PayPal or American Express or somebody or you know is introducing something that somebody you know perceives is is going to interfere with the you know market share of Western Union. But I mean, these guys are 150 years old or whatever they are, so I think share erosion is part of what they're used to, and it probably is on some type of slope that's. You know, not overly alarming, that's all. Well, you know, the other thing that they are in, they do things like, when you've got to transfer money, you think, you think you're doing it in multi-currency. It's got to be real time. Yeah. You're in different world time zones. You're, you're connecting different networks. You've got custodial stuff you've got to deal with. And uh, that is immensely complex. And so the barriers to entry, I would think, in that kind of a business would be fairly high. And they do a lot of cross-border transactions, collateralized transactions. So that's yeah. so something's wrong. I like the story. I do think they're in some pretty great areas. But uh, get to the bottom of that share plunge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We talk about a financial uh, fiscal cliff. These guys went off their own. Yeah. So, okay, well... Uh, that is uh, our four names for today, and uh, this is the part of the show where we like to do walking, or no, uh, paging through national economic trends, and I see we're, we're using up a lot of the time for the show here, but we're going to still get to that. Um, we haven't printed it at all or done anything, so we're going to have to do that, and we'll be right, right back.
So we're back. We're back, everybody, with uh, <clears throat> paging through national economic trends. Uh, we try to do this at the very end of each show. We're barely awake at this point, but we go through this. It's a publication of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. It's free. It's got all the news you might need, certainly more than you want, about <clears throat> national economic trends. It's true, and we do it because we're masochists. Yeah, and there's still traffic, so... I'm not going to drive home till the traffic eases up a little bit. Before you get too far into this, just turn back to page three. Page three. Unemployment rate. Now, this yeah. is a picture that saved an election. Because you know what? The unemployment rate, to be fair, has been declining since, uh, you know, since it peaked in 2009. Yeah. The end of 2009. And uh, things were looking great until the first, real, about the first quarter of this year. And all of a sudden, we had that spooky uptick in unemployment yeah. Everyone was wondering, uh, are we going back up to nine percent? Uh, you know, is he, are we go? Are we double dipping? That's what everyone was talking about. And all you do is you take a look at this and you go, boom! See that big, that big further decline in in uh, in unemployment rate. Um, clearly, must have had a big impact on the election. So we kind of throw that. I mean, there were a lot of things that threw the election in Obama's direction, but this clearly was one of them. There's a pretty eloquent picture. Yeah, phenomenon. Things have been improving. I would note uh, that, that little, we've been out, little tail up. We've been in front of that. I think that uh, you know this has been a consistent improvement. Again, a little slower than some would like. I think that there's an argument out there for the demographic changes that are going on. Yeah. People need to remember GDP. You can't just give somebody money that was just printed, and then that's GDP. It isn't. GDP is work. It's hours of work represented by the money you would earn for that. But if you just print money and give it to somebody, the reason that's not GDP is it just uh, reduced the value of everyone else. It diluted them by that uh, increase in the money supply. So when you have baby boomers, again, the average age of the baby boomers, they started getting born in 1945. So I think they're just turning, let's see, 45, 2010. Is that... 65. So uh, we've talked about this. The front end of the baby boom is just turning 65, and that means they stop working. So in some regard, your most productive people, they're the most experienced in a knowledge economy, they start retiring, and that means a lot of work isn't being done. And then they start drawing money that the government wants you to believe is in a big lockbox somewhere, but it's not. It's coming out of taxes. And so as you start these transfer payments to the baby boom, and it's just going to get worse, the GDP slows down because those people are not working. I think it's simple as that. And we might just have to get used to this period of slower growth as a result of the demographic changes that are going on. But the good news for your younger listeners is that only lasts 20 years, then it turns back around again. Uh, we will be the unfortunate uh, beneficiaries or non-beneficiaries yeah. of this trend. Uh, but what I want to mention on this page, Mo, is that this little uptick in the unemployment rate right there... Very is, preliminary, but it's clear. I think that's it. campaign workers. You know, ah. campaign. <laughs> All right. Well, Could what be. what do you uh, you got anything? You there? said something I thought was interesting. We were talking about what the new um, <clears throat> taxes might be, and you had mentioned that household deductions um, 
maybe one of the things that get thrown under the bus because they're not, oh, worth, I think they're, so. they're not worth a lot now. And I was looking at this chart on interest rates, and I, and, and I was thinking about that because they did a very quick back of the envelope. Let's say you have a $200,000 house. Yeah. If, if you had a 6% mortgage on that Which, in, the, in the past, yeah. um, you, you got a, you got a $6,700 deduction after everything goes through the wash. A 60, year. Yeah, that's a big number. Um, today, yeah. it's, it's a shy under uh, $3,000. Yeah. So you could take that away without crippling people. And uh, yeah. you were you were sort of suggesting you think it might be a done deal. Or what do you think? The I do are? think so. Well, it's the it's That's the biggest one. Um, at uh, at at these prices for mortgages, the notion that the deduction will encourage neighborhood formation as a you know stabilizing force in America. I mean, this is a fifty year old notion. You know, guess what? I think it worked. Sixty five percent of Americans own their homes now. Uh, a few percentage less than a few years ago because people who couldn't actually afford to own homes were being encouraged to buy them. That's washed through. But we've succeeded on that. And if you cut the mortgage deduction, I think, you know, I ran this calculation. It, it, it Just based on home prices being set by what people can afford to pay a month, if you take away that deduction, you're going to hit prices by 10 or 15 percent um, and, you know, some of that may already be in current prices. And so um, I think, you know, it's never been in some fashion, it's never been cheaper to eliminate that deduction than right now. So uh, I'd say save the tax rates, uh, but uh, certainly eliminate some of those deductions. I just had a couple things this week, Mo. I'll run through them quickly because I think people are probably getting bored of listening to us. Uh, one, we got inflation rolling through. Uh, it was a drought year in corn. I did a little work on this recently. The numbers on page 9 show the consumer price index rising very rapidly recently at a 6% annual rate. Um, producer prices at a 20% annual rate. And I think that's corn prices rolling through. Uh, not only did we have a drought, but for some God-forsaken reason no one can guess, our government is siphoning food and putting it into cars um, when at the same time we've had a giant increase in natural gas production. Maybe you should put natural gas in cars and put food uh, into uh, people. Well, I don't know. I don't cars, cars have to eat, yeah, too, and we all so. like our But corn. I'd watch that inflation. Um, and uh, let's see, one other thing. Last one, another graph, which we'll come back to next week because I want to talk about it a little bit. Gross national savings. This is something that for the last 20 years this country has saved, you know, about somewhere around 15% of their of their uh, uh, their income, I guess. And uh, that's what that is, right? Well, gross, gross private- savings rates on current account, I don't think that is what that what is. What is that? Because gr- look at this what what whatever this trend is, it's gross private savings and it's been 20 it's been 15% for 20 years and boom. We hit the recession, it's gone up to 20%. And if that is American savings rate, uh, what is that? Well, I think that might be capital, corporate capital. You know, uh, cash balances have never been higher. That's true. And I think that's what that is. We've had a bump in that. And the uncertainty explains it. I mean, people we, we don't know what seen, to do. If, if that's what it is, yeah, that yeah. Make, would make sense. We haven't seen anything like it since uh, since these numbers go back, and that's the 1987. And that could be good for future growth, obviously. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention, Mo, and this is just a shout-out to our friendly trading partners. On page 19, real GDP growth of major trading partners 
you know, I think we're running around one and a half, two percent. The UK is negative the last three quarters, minus one percent. Um, Japan, they move around. That must be just government doing stuff. But they're zero six zero six. Germany flat. France zero. But here's a shout out to our neighbors to the south, Mexico. They're putting up three. Look at this. 3%, 5%, 6%, 3%, 5%, 3% GDP growth, and that's real growth, meaning after inflation. And I don't know how much of that is, uh, you know, American factories moving to Mexico, but they have a, a, the best growth rate uh, among our major trading partners. So, And it goes without hasta saying that... La, <clears throat> hasta luego, Mexico. And I, and I do think that it, uh, it goes without saying that now that... Uh, now that Colorado has legalized marijuana, the rest of the country may be moving in that direction. I think some of these uh, GDP numbers for Mexico could double. Could double, just yeah. on that Colorado vote. Gets legalized here, gets legalized there, it becomes a government industry. It's their largest single export, double the GDP overnight. Yeah, good job. Okay. Well, that's another uh, week of the Value Guys Stock Talk show. Um, I'm going to pick my favorite stock right now for Phil, who likes that. Uh, and I like it too. Let's say uh, I'm going to go with uh, Total System Services, the annuity, uh, you know, financial processor. And Mo, do you have a favor? Yeah, I think I'm going to take a. I think I'm going to take a stab with uh, the Interpublic Group. I like the chart. Stock's certainly cheap enough. Uh, numbers look good. So that's forever. Let it be. Historically noted. That, that I've chose that. That's outstanding. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. It's been the uh, November 14th, 2012 edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. See all our caveats, photographs. Uh, I think we have some coupons to Broadway shows at www.thevalueguys.com. So long, everybody. Have a good weekend. <laughs>